Welcome back to another What's Up podcast. I am speaking today with the co-writer and director of a very cool performance coming to several places in Northwest Arkansas uh, for the Artisphere Art and Nature Festival. Thank you so much for speaking to me today, TJ Daw. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to bringing the show to Northwest Arkansas. Yes, so we are speaking about Art Heist. And as I mentioned, it's part of the Artisphere uh, Art and Nature Festival, which we are so thrilled is coming back this year. The whole festival, of course, had to be canceled last year, even though most of it uh, occurs outside. And um, Art Heist will also be occurring outside. So tell me a little about the really unique experience you're bringing to Northwest Arkansas. So yes, Art Heist is an outdoor performance, and it is a little unusual. It may not fall along the clean lines of what people think of when they think, let's go see a show. So the premise of the show is it's an investigation into a true crime. Uh, the, the Isabella Stewart Garden Museum in Boston was robbed on St. Patrick's Day in 1990 of 13 works of art whose current value is estimated at half a billion dollars. Mm. Half a billion! And not one of these 13 items has been recovered and not one arrested has been made. So the role that the audience is given in the show is they are a batch of recruits in the FBI's Art Recovery Division and they are going to investigate the top four suspects in this case. They're going to meet the different suspects, they're going to interrogate them, they're going to ask them whatever they want, 10 minutes per suspect at the end. They submit their own guess as to which of these suspects is most likely to have been involved in this case. Now, this is not a famous enough case that we can just take it for granted that everybody knows about it and everybody would know who the suspects are and let's ask them. So the audience is guided by three different dedicated experts. We tell them, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to know about the Gardner Heist. This is what you need to know about the next subject. And let me physically take you to this next location. The whole thing is 100% COVID safe. Uh, people are standing socially distanced from each other and wearing masks. And no actors are ever close enough to be a danger to each other. So this is a fully safe endeavor. It's also uh, accessible to all ages because the Gardner Heist was a completely bloodless crime. Mm. So we have had audiences that include little kids. And sometimes kids can be the most dogged and clever interrogators mm. of the suspect. And just a hint, if anybody's thinking of doing that, our actors love when people ask them clever questions that nobody has ever asked them before. Yes, so that it sounds so fun, not just, uh, as you said, it, it's not kind of uh, along those clean lines of I'm going to a, you know, musical theater performance. It's, uh, you know, mystery and theater and uh, interactivity and all, all of these different elements rolled up together. It's somewhat similar to an escape room or a scavenger hunt. And I think that's why escape rooms are so popular is because you actually get to do something. Now, I'm a huge fan of movies, of music, of books. I don't mean to denigrate any of those media with what I'm about to say. Uh, and we've all been subsisting on those things since lockdown. And as brilliant as a movie can be or an album or a book, they're the same every time. They don't change based on what you're doing as you're taking them in. A movie is a movie is a movie every single time you watch it. This show is different every single time you do it. And I think that's why people like Escape Room so much, is because you're a participant. You're actively involved in how it unfolds. Mm. And even the most traditional theaters like that somewhat, because actors know to calibrate their performance 
whether the audience is laughing or not, or whether the audience is on board or not, or are they restless, that kind of thing. There's all kinds of minor and major adjustments that actors make, but we really turn up the, the stakes on that with this show, in terms of the audience is asking the actors questions, the audience is discussing what do we think of this person, do we think that they were lying, do we think that their story holds up, and at the end, who do we think is most likely to be involved in this? So it's participatory, and if there's anything that we've had to struggle against, if there's any danger this show has in the successful unfolding of it, is people asking too many questions, <laughs> running too long, because something that's become apparent to me as I've been working on the show in different cities is we're starved for interaction, mm. and this show gives people a chance to have new conversations with new people about new things. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, any experience like that. I know uh, a lot of people are craving that, looking so forward to it. So let's go back a little bit. Um, you were telling me just before we started recording uh, that this has been your, your big project since uh sounds like the middle of last summer. Tell me about when this, the idea for building a performance around this started kind of percolating in your mind. What, what was the impetus there? What got you started thinking about this? This time last year, I was living in Los Angeles and I was working a job developing new shows that would be performed indoors. And then COVID hit and that just stopped for all the obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And it stopped for the foreseeable future. And all kinds of producers of live entertainment just thought, what now? All kinds of actors, all kinds of writers, everybody who's working in the field of live indoor entertainment has just had a, a giant question mark in terms of what's next and what do we do and do I even have a career from now on? One of my bosses at that job was the co-founder of the production company of this show. The production company is called Right Angle and that boss's name is Justin Sutton. He did not come up with the idea of outdoor shows. These existed like roving shows, but they're not incredibly popular. Not that many people know that they exist. And about a month into lockdown, he came on to this idea because he'd already wanted to do shows like this before COVID hit, but then thought, wait a minute, if we do this now, we can follow all the safety guidelines and we can give people live interactive experiences. He found the loophole in COVID. So he and I put our heads together and came up with a bunch of different ideas of like, if we were to do this, what would it be about? And then settled on this, Art Heist, for a number of the reasons I mentioned. For one thing, it's true crime. True crime is really interesting, has a lot of fans, but on the second hand, this is not a grisly crime. So nobody has to worry that it's gonna be gross or disturbing or cause anybody nightmares. You know, this is an entirely nonviolent crime. And it's an open mystery. So anybody could investigate this and then maybe solve the mystery. Probably not within the parameters of our show, but just to spoil the ending a little bit, <laughs> the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston to this day offers a $10 million reward for information that leads to the recovery of the stolen art. And that stolen art could be anywhere. And the more people know about this, the more people are part of that active search. And what we really would like for the show, apart from people having the experience of interacting, is for people to get that, get that buzz of finally getting to be the detective that they've always wondered if they could be when they watch movies or TV shows or read books that hinge on a detective investigation. Maybe people will feel that bug and think, this is what I want to do. So for all of these reasons, we thought, this is probably going to be the way to do it. So we debuted the show in September, and then since then it's been produced in many, many places because all kinds of venues across the U.S. 
want to have something to offer that isn't live streamed, and many people want to attend something that isn't live streamed. And Red Angle has since debuted two different shows on entirely different subjects, but exactly in this style. Because clearly this is something that appeals to people, and the novelty of it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's also an opportunity for some local talent to kind of, you know, shake off the dust a little bit uh, as you hire actors, local actors, and you hire a local production manager. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And I have been incredibly impressed with the depth and breadth of talent uh, from the casting pool in Fayetteville. I've been blown away watching people audition for this material, and I love working with new people that I probably never would have met, much less worked with again and again, and I love getting the local actions the opportunity to perform again. So many people in the different cities the show has been on have expressed that. Like, it's so much fun to be on my feet again. It's so Mm -hmm. much fun to be interacting with audiences again, to be making people laugh, to be making people think. Yeah, it's a tremendous pleasure and honor. You know, I love being part of a project that's getting people working. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about the audition process. I saw the uh, casting call go out on Playbill.com, and you know, they, they did an announcement here as well that you guys were seeking some local actors. Um, so you said you, you're watching them audition. Were, were you here in town? Are they sending you videos? What is that process like? It's been entirely done by Zoom. So I'm located in Vancouver, Canada. A year ago, I was living in L.A., but I'm originally from Vancouver. And I'm a dual citizen, by the way. My mother grew up on a farm in Iowa. My dad's from Newfoundland. Mm. So I've got dual citizenship, and I work in both countries. Uh, it is not safe to travel right now, and it's not even legal to travel between borders mm. right now. So all of my work has been by Zoom. So the audition for this show has been really interesting because the content is always improvised. So we can't just give somebody a monologue and say, memorize this or read this and then let's hear you do it. We give them a set of parameters and say, these are certain things you need to know about your character. This is the way that they might say it, but let's zoom with you and talk through what kind of person this is and then have you bring it to life in whatever way makes sense to you. If you want to follow the script that we've written, follow the script I've written. If you want to throw it out and improvise it entirely, throw it out and improvise it entirely. So it's very much a matter of my co-director and I meeting and then seeing how well can we play with all these different people how well can they embody these different suspects or these different experts and because none of them is an inherently famous person it doesn't matter to us in the slightest if somebody's performance resembles the actual person because what audience member knows what this career criminal in boston is actually like in real life (laughs) it also doesn't matter to us if they're the same gender or the same ethnicity or the same age or anything like that what matters most is that they can communicate with the audience in a way that the audience believes that they're interacting with a real authentic person, even though they've been holding the band, this is an actor. Of course, obviously. But it's, yeah, every every audition is just a conversation and uh, an attempt to play and say, how well do we play together? Which really is what theater is altogether. I mean, it's probably no coincidence that a play is called a play. It's really, let's, let's play. Let's mm. get great big imaginative sandbox and let's see what we can come up with together yeah that sounds oh sorry sorry did i cut you off no, not at all. Okay. No, that sounds so fun, uh, especially for the actors, but it sounds like a uh, 
probably keeps you guys on on the uh, watching the auditions side really on your toes, and and it would be a really different experience with every actor you're working with. It is, and that's a big part of the pleasure. It's every actor's interpretation is different, and we encourage that, and we want the Fayetteville production to be different than, than the Dallas production. We want the Dallas production to be different than the San Antonio production and so on, and we love discovering what new people bring to it every time. It's a real joy. Mm. So, as you mentioned, this is a, uh, based on a true crime, this uh, heist actually happened, and people are going to be interacting with the four main suspects. So these are the true four main suspects in the actual case? There are more suspects, but these are the four that we find to be most viable. So every single suspect has a list of interesting things about them that makes them seem pretty suspicious, especially to somebody who isn't a career law enforcement professional like myself. Mm. And at the same time, not one of these people has ever been arrested. So whatever circumstances, whatever evidence there is against them, isn't enough to make the FBI or the Boston police just say, okay, you, you're under arrest, we're going to take you in, we're going to investigate this fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is also a Netflix docuseries that just debuted two weeks ago. I was about to bring that up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about the exact Gardner case. I had no idea it was in the works. This was not part of our prevarication deciding to put on the show. It's just a really happy coincidence because now more people know about it. Mm-hmm. So it's a four-episode series. It's called This is a Robbery. Each episode is just under an hour. It's extremely well done. And it deepens people's knowledge and understanding and interest. And I've heard from some of the other productions that are happening, sometimes it's very clear an audience member has watched it because they come in with particularly pointed and intelligent questions. Mm. The other great thing about this docuseries is it brings you right into the Gardner Museum, which I've read about in books, I've listened to in a podcast, I've spent you know endless hours thinking about and talking about with different actors and recreating outdoors in all these different cities. But we don't recreate it physically. The show is entirely done with just words and performance. In the docuseries, you get to see this beautiful building. You get to see the exterior, the interior, the courtyard. There's a feast for the eyes as well. It's just how beautiful all the different rooms are, how full of art they are. And one of the details is part of the will of Isabella Stewart Gardner, who found the museum and named it after herself, was that the collection can never change. Mm. So the stolen works of art are now just empty frames on the wall, quite conspicuously there. It's really creepy and haunting. But they're not covering up the fact that this happened, much less that it happened 31 years ago. They're being quite upfront and honest about this. And before COVID even hit, they were offering audio tours of the museum that were focused on the exact robberies. You can see this is where the thieves came in, this is where they went first, this is where they tied up the guards, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They're fully on board with making sure everybody knows about this. Because again, the more people know, the more people are enrolled in the search. Yeah, yeah. It's it seems so unbelievable, and that's what I was seeing. Um, I haven't watched the docu series yet, but I was watching the trailer, and I think that's what several people in in the documentary are saying. It just seems unbelievable. Yeah, it's an insane thing to have happened, and it's confounded people over a huge amount of time. There's also a really interesting podcast series called Last Scene that came from WBUR, which I believe is a public radio station in Boston, that's mm-hmm. 10 episodes. So that investigates the crime from many different directions, including who perpetrated the robbery itself, or what happened to the stolen art after it was stolen. 
because that's the thing about stolen art, especially really valuable stolen art. One of the paintings is valued at $200 million. Mm. You can't exactly sell that. I mean, somebody might picture a Bond supervillain has some mansion on a private island, and that's where they have all these treasures. Mm -hmm. And according to the words of experts, that is extremely unlikely that that's the case. Stolen art like this is almost always used as a bargaining chip so that if you go to prison or someone you care about goes to prison, you can exchange it for that thing or as collateral so that if I'm a criminal and I want to buy a huge quantity of cocaine, which I will then sell, I can say, well, here's this huge valuable stolen painting, which I definitely want back. And now I'm going to make money from this cocaine that you've sold me. And then now here's the money. And now can I have my painting back, please? So there's all of that going on. The podcast explores all of that too. And as well as like different law enforcement professionals who investigated it, there's an FBI guy who almost got three of the paintings back from the Corsican Mafia of all places. Mm. There was a dig that happened under the summer property of a Boston underworld figure that was in Florida. And that just happened a couple of years ago. So they take you right into all these different possibilities. Again, it's a huge story. And anybody who lives in Boston has heard of it. It was huge local news. It was national news, but anybody outside of Boston either never heard about it or just forgot about it. So it's incredible to just dive into this massive world and discover just how much there is there. This story has tentacles, like a giant octopus that go out you know, in eight directions. Yeah. With all kinds of suckers at the end of every single one. Mm. <laughs> so tell me a little about how the writing process for something like this where you're trying to uh you and then all as the writer and then also you know working with the actors as you've mentioned you're trying to flesh out a kind of uh improvised version of somebody who does already exist and you're working with a true event true facts real people how has that uh been a different experience from some of the other writing and producing works that you've done in the past? It is vastly different because most of the time you know what you're going to say. So you have a script, you mm-hmm. write it, you memorize it, you perform it. Whereas in this case, well, there's two tracks. One is the expert tracks, there's the three experts who are the audience's guide. They aren't locked into you have to say this exact thing, but it's more like you have to communicate this information because a lot of what they do is just functional. It's like letting the audience know, let me tell you the details of the gardening house. Let me tell you about this next suspect thing. Or let me tell you about how this show works. So there's that. But still, we want it to sound like it's their own words. We want them to embody these characters in a way that's believable. And then there's the suspects. who, Like I said, their only interaction in the show is entirely improvised because nothing but the audience asking questions. Mm-hmm. And again, we want them to bring their own flavor to it. So we don't need a person playing David Turner in one city to be to give the same performance as the person playing David Turner in another city. And there's only so much you can research about these people because they're not famous. But what we do give them is a long file that says, here's all the things that make this person suspicious. And then here's a bunch of answers to those things that can discount why those things are actual, well, why they're not evidence. None of them is actual evidence. They're just circumstantial things that look really shady. Mm. And then we say, you can use this as a reputation if you want somebody to ask you about this, or you can come up with an entirely different answer, as long as it sounds authentic, and you have to be ready for anything, because we can't, in rehearsal, prep you for every question any person might have, like that's impossible. So you've got to be ready for 
somebody's sharp question, like if there's a, a true crime buff and they've done their own research and they've thought about this, or somebody's off-the-wall question. So part of what I enjoy actually the most in rehearsal is coming up with strange questions for the actors, which mm. most audience members never give them. So again, this is a tip to anybody who's going to see the show is if you come up with a question like the kind I routinely do in rehearsal, which is to say, if you were a pizza, what toppings would be on you? Or have you ever had an experience in which you end up getting stitches? Or, uh, you know, what's the what's the strangest prank you've ever pulled in your life? You know, something that's not related to the garden heist, but they still have to answer. They mm. have to, even if they say, why are you asking me? But then they will answer. Uh, that can be some of the most entertaining moments of the show. Those are by far my favorite moments in rehearsal. And when I get reports from the actors that this person asked me so-and-so today, I'm just delighted because I always imagine that look in an actor's eye, which the audience can read, of like, okay, I'm in virgin territory with this answer. I've got to come up with something right now the way a real person would, and it might even surprise me. And audiences love that. That comes across in some way of like, I'm seeing a unique experience. I'm not just witnessing somebody on autopilot which mm. is kind of the point point. and again that's what all the other art we've been living on since lockdown hasn't been able to give us like i said a movie is the same every time there's no spontaneity even if there was spontaneity when they filmed it that's since then been edited into a firm product where this anything could happen at any time and every single person's participation and interaction affects the overall mm-hmm. and it sounds like there's a lot of comedy that happens in uh, I'm assuming mostly brought about by those kind of situations but it sounds like there's a lot of comedy in the performance as well not that it's a comedic performance but there's some humor in there yeah I mean some of the characters are inherently really funny one of the characters in particular features quite prominently in the Netflix series is just he's a really entertaining person so we love telling entertaining stories so there's that but then there's also the humor that can come from any character, just depending on anything that happens, whether it's a question somebody asks or something that we've prompted them to say, or maybe somebody's inadvertently funny because they take themselves just a little too seriously, or maybe they have to deal with, because you're outdoors, maybe they have to deal with a passing car honking their horn, or mm -hmm. somebody's phone ringing, or a bird taking a crap on them, or whatever. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen because it's an uncontrolled environment. And I find even in indoor shows, I love watching that happen. I love it when some accident happens and the actors aren't rattled by it. They go with it and they incorporate it into what they're doing. It really creates a unique and magical moment. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you said, you know, you're, there's the chance for people who attend the performances to put on their detective hat and you know they they may gather all the pieces and they may figure it out even uh, but you said something to the effect of maybe not in the course of this uh you know single show but they may you know go home and think about it or something like that has anybody ever uh since you debuted the show has anyone like reached out to you or or come back after a performance and said well what about this or you know i, I thought about this we have had people discover that they have connections to actual people mm. in the case. So uh, a number of times I've had somebody reach out to me and say, you know, after watching your show, I was telling my father about it, and it turns out that he was 
state trooper in Boston, like they knew that part, but what they didn't know was that he had an actual friendship with this one suspect. Or another person, one of the places that we just put on the show was in South Florida, and one of the characters was staged right by a marina, and somebody whose boat was right there would interact with them, jokingly, just as a member of the public. But then once they conversed with them and found out what the show was about, they realized that, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I know that person personally. I got a bunch of stories about them. Wow. So the connections that this show has fostered have been incredible. If people have been investigating this on their own time and making actual discoveries, it's possible that they've been reaching out to the Guardian Museum directly or the FBI. I'm not sure, but none of that has come to me. But I love the possibility that people are taking deeper. And there are true crime books on the subject. Like I said, there's a podcast, there's a Netflix series. And then there's just the world at large, because that art could be anywhere. And it's entirely possible somebody might have spotted it at some point, not knowing what they were seeing. Maybe mm-hmm. something is going to come up. And it's also possible that stolen artwork is going to be uncovered in uh, an episode of Storage Wars at some point, or will be discovered when somebody buys a house and discovers a hidden closet at the back. <laughs> Who knows? The possibilities are so endless. <laughs> yeah, and if it ever comes out that somebody was spurred to take a closer look because of this show and that that helped bring that stolen artwork back just to the population at large. That would be an incredible honor as well. So getting into, you know, learning more about this, this case and uh, now you're kind of, as you said, you're, you're kind of part of this whole uh, world going on around this case now because yeah, you're spurring, your project is spurring people to, look into this and and maybe you know join the investigation do you think the pieces will be found in our lifetime yes i do i think there's growing awareness about i think we're at a tipping point of some kind i mean the netflix series certainly doesn't hurt the podcast i mentioned only came out a couple of years ago this uh this story went kind of cold for a number of years like for pretty much a decade after it happened the big sensation when it happened then went dormant for whatever combination of reasons it's coming back now so now there's more and more people who are interested and more people who are just aware and curious and perhaps actively looking so yes i have great hope that these precious works of art will be recovered and something that they talk about in the various books and the podcasts and such is that you know the images of these works of art still exist like they're not Mm -hmm. in theory they're not taken out of the realm of human consciousness because you know you can look them up on the internet right now or they're in different books but there's also a strong difference between looking at a picture on a jpeg and seeing it in real life and many people have had that experience of going to a gallery and seeing a work of art whether it's by a famous artist or a local artist or what have you but being able to stand in front of the actual work and realize what I'm seeing are the actual physical brushstrokes of the person who made this painting. They stood right where I'm standing. They made this thing. And there's this majesty that when you're in front of the actual thing is undeniable. That's what I really hope can be returned. Mm. And I really hope that when the day comes where it's safe to travel again, that I can make my way to Boston and go to this beautiful museum and see these, uh, see whatever works of art they have, but particularly these works of art once they're recovered and displayed again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that does that I hope that day comes and, and honestly I think it would be incredible if a tip or, or something that 
came out of one of your shows uh, led to a discovery. I think that would be incredible. I may be destined to be a really minute footnote <laughs> in the history of this, <laughs> of this crime. And you know what? <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. Do you have your own uh, guess as to who did it? Yes, absolutely. But I would not rather say that here. Yes. Because, and this is something the experts say at the start, is the advantage that the audience has coming in is the advantage of a press perspective. Mm -hmm. It's very much like the phenomenon of when you're just going nuts looking for a pair of scissors or your glasses or your phone and you can't find them, and then someone points out that it's been in your hand the whole time. Mm. Like that, it happens to me all the time, where I'm just looking for something obvious and it turns out it's right in front of me and I just can't see it. The brain has this strange editing function sometimes. So the audience coming into this show pretty much always has a fresh perspective, and people with fresh perspectives can see things that somebody like me, who's been staring intently, cannot see. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge advantage, and I encourage anybody coming in, to, if they have that, don't feel like you're, like you're behind the curve because you, you haven't educated yourself in advance. You can think of that as a, as a distinct asset. So come on in with your fresh perspective and see if you can spot the thing that even the experts haven't seen. Because sometimes the answer is right in front of us, mm. and it's hiding in plain sight. I love that. <laughs> So Art Heist, again, is part of the Artisphere Art and Nature Festival, which we're just thrilled that they, the Walton Art Center in Fayetteville gets to put it on again. And there are actually so many performances. There's going to be a ton of opportunities for people to attend performances in Fayetteville, in Rogers, and in Bentonville. So people across Northwest Arkansas, there's going to be a performance happening close to you. And you can get all of the dates on the Walton Arts Center's website, but they are—they start May 6th and they go different dates all the way through May 23rd. So, as I said, tons of opportunities to see the show and definitely one happening close to you. So, TJ, thank you again so much for your time and for discussing art heists with me. I can't wait to see it in person. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And yes, I really hope you like it. Yes. All right. Uh, as I said, all the information is on the Walton Arts Center's website at waltonartscenter.org, or you can always call the box office for more information at 443-5600. TJ, thank you again for your time. I hope that the art is found and you can make your, your way to Boston and get to see the art in person as, you know, you've, you know, come into this come into this story. <laughs> I've got my fingers and toes and legs crossed as we speak. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. And yes, here's hoping many more people become uh, stolen art recovery detectives. Yes, I'll have my detective hat on. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Have a good one, TJ. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.